They say having money's not everything, not having it is. Love of money is evil, but who don't want to be rich? Wealth is fundamental for the life that you want to live. As you pursue that wish, don't sacrifice this list. Physical health, uh-huh. emotional health, social, spiritual health, of course. Financial health, health is wealth, health is wealth. Yeah. Tap in, let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Health is Wealth show. This show is for people who want to achieve financial independence without foregoing their overall health. And what we want to do here is create a community, right? A community, a safe space where people can come, they can share, they can learn, they can grow from the examples and stories of people, specifically individuals, who have pursued and achieved health and wealth. All right. And today we have an amazing guest teed up. Uh, I'm really excited for you all to hear from her. I'm honored that she was um, kind enough to say yes to this invitation because I'm sure she gets flooded with invitations to speak publicly, online, virtually, Zoom, all over the place. Um, but, you know, I guess someone just touched her little heart and told her to say yes to me. So that that feels really good. But um, with no further ado, I want to just jump in with the intro. So you're about to meet a lady by the name of Cheryl Collins. Cheryl is the CEO of Holy Family Ministries. If you've been following me for a while, you know that they're one of the uh, brand partnerships that I, I uh, advocate for and I advertise all the time. Uh, she's a believer. She's a wife. She's a mother. Um, she's a woman with a heartbeat for impact. What she's chosen to do with her life is just impact and uplift children, uh, specifically students, the parents of those students, and the staff that she leads in her capacity as a CEO. So at this point, she's likely blushing because, you know, I'm, I'm highlighting all of her, you know, uh, different attributes, but um, important for you guys to know, she taught for 14 years in the classroom before migrating over to the role of a CEO, that in administration. So it kind of crystallizes her perspective on things like health and wealth and what it means to balance the two of those together. So with no further ado, Cheryl, I'm sorry to put you on the spot here with that glowing intro, but welcome to the show. How are you? I am well. Thanks, Robert, for having me. I'm the one who's honored to be here. I, you know, Robert Whitley is one of my favorite people and just someone that I am so happy that he's uh, in my community of, of a network of friends and professional folks and just really honored to be here. So thank you for having me. And thanks for that wonderful introduction, Robert. You're very welcome. Uh, the next time it will be better. I guarantee you that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was really good. <laughs> All right. I'll take it. Take it. So Cheryl, um, I did my best to try and encapsulate what you've done for the last few decades, but um, to our listeners who may be a little, you know, um, interested to learn more, maybe you could sum up a little bit better. What have you been up to in your professional life? Certainly. Well, you know, I, I have to say I started off, uh, on a whole different path. My intent was to become a pediatrician. Um, to that end, I, I was blessed to go to a high school that actually had a sort of a pathway into that career in my junior year. Um, and I took a specialized course where I ended up, when I graduated from high school with a high school diploma, I also graduated with a, a licensed practical nursing degree. Um, and I'm so glad that I did that because that led me to work at Northwestern Memorial Hospital uh, while I was at Loyola University in my undergrad studies. 
And I'm really glad I did that because after working at Northwestern for even three months, I realized I do not want to go into medicine. This is not for me. I am not going to make it in this field yeah. um, because I just didn't have the patience for the patients. <laughs> just they were not. I was not. I don't think I was a very patient nurse. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was also at that time that, you know, I was in my freshman year at Loyola. I met my to be husband well not soon but you know he became my husband and i met his mother uh who's a maverick in education and marva collins and i started to visit the school westside prep school um known for just you know being a a beacon of excellence on the west side um and i realized that you know i was always one of those kids that i was the teacher when when children had trouble learning my classmates had trouble learning in school they would come to me for help and they would say things like, why didn't the teacher say it like that? You made it seem so easy. And uh, so I realized my passion was teaching and education, and I became a teacher. And I, I'm so glad I did. So I taught, as, as Robert said, on the west side of Chicago, 14 years under the tutelage of my mother-in-law, Marva Collins. And I learned everything there was to, to being a good teacher, a good instructor, someone who cared, someone who put their students first, someone who made learning fun and exciting. Um, but I also realized at a point, like, I, I just didn't want to teach anymore. I was kind of getting burnt out and couldn't grade one more paper, couldn't read one more essay, and uh, started my um, master's degree at DePaul University. At the same time, uh, I started working in an administrative role and really discovered that's where my passion was. Like, being an administrator was so, it ignited something in me. Uh, first and foremost, I think because... I have a boss in me, like I, <laughs> I have this side of me that just likes to kind of direct and manage and lead and, and pull and tug and push. And, um, and so I did my work uh, at DePaul, I graduated. And uh, at that time I was actually at another school by that time, Providence St. Mel. And I got a call out of the blue to become a principal at a Holy Family School, school I'd never heard of uh, on the west side of Chicago. So I went in as a principal and I remained a principal for 14 years. 14 is my number, I think. Uh, and our founder CEO retired and I stepped into the role of CEO. So now I'm more fundraiser, working with the board of directors, our donors, overseeing and managing the programs. But directly my work is to ensure that we have the resources we need um, for the students to, to really flourish at Holy Family. Wow. Oh. That's so cool. I, I learned something myself. I didn't. I didn't know that you wanted to be a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. I thought wow. I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. That's okay. I'm still marinating on it myself. Yeah. And, and yeah, what's I mean, with I, this I, 14? What's with I that? No, I don't know because it's not a biblical number at all. Like, <laughs> I guess it's double. Anything. It's double the it's completion seven. number, so right? It took, it's taking me longer. It took me twice as long. <laughs> Twice as long to complete. Okay. Yeah, twice as long. I know seven is that number of completion in, in the Bible. Yeah. So yeah, don't know. That's so, <laughs> so fun. Okay, cool, cool. So just to pair it back, right? We started off uh, aspiring to be a pediatrician. We were blessed with the insight that that's not really what you wanted to do. Um, Correct. Pivoted into teaching with mom in law. Yes. Right. Did that mm -hmm. dance for fourteen years parlated over into principal for 14 and now you're a CEO managing the school Correct. that you led. Wow. That's amazing. So I'll, I'll give you this, I'll give you a softball question. You ready? 
All right. Yep. What's one thing you wish you knew 10 years ago? <laughs> That's not too difficult, actually. <laughs> First off, there's a lot of things I wish I knew, but I think the one thing that I wish I knew 10 years ago was um, it's okay to make a mistake. Uh, hmm. You know, I think that we're, particularly people of color, you know, we always have this need to prove to the world that we're capable that we're professional, that we know what we're doing. And oftentimes in that trying to prove, you know, that level of capability, because oftentimes we feel like we're looked at as less, that we end up, I'll speak for me, I end up in a place where I don't feel safe in making a mistake. And when I make one, I beat up on myself tremendously and um, it's not healthy. So 10 years ago, I know I was always in that place of trying to do everything right, everything perfectly, not make a mistake, not look bad, cover it up if I did, <laughs> um, you know, and make sure nobody finds out, you know, or, you know, backpedal and <laughs> fix it. But I've learned how unhealthy that is and that mistakes are for learning. And it, the, the irony of all of that is when I was a teacher, I told my students that all the time, mistakes are for learning. You know, you'll grow, make a mistake, don't be afraid, take a chance, take a risk. And I didn't learn that lesson myself. Um, mm -hmm. And so now, you know, I see the, what I paid for that. And what I paid for that was a lot of stress and anxiety and, and self-degradation. Um, and none of that was healthy. Mm. That's like the perfect segue. Because what I want to get into is, as you know, right, the name of the show, Health is Well. Um, so without, without spilling the tea, I want, I want you to share in your words, what does health as wealth mean to you? Well, you know, it seems, um, it seems simple, but I think it's different for everybody. For me, health as wealth is simply saying that when I am at my optimal best in all areas of life. I am healthy um, and there, there are many areas of life. And um, if you're, if you are at your optimal best and you're healthy, you also sort of inherit the wealth that comes with that. And I don't mean financial wealth, um, but I do mean well-being, uh, for example, a sense of happiness and joy and contentment. And there is nothing that replaces that sense of wealth. Um, you know, when you are just feeling like everything is, is, is at the right stasis in your life and in your world. And so whether it's, you know, financial, spiritual, um, purpose-driven life, uh, whether it's your physical um, being, uh, whether it's relationships, career, wherever it is, you know, you have to have the stasis, this balance. And it's, it's just like this, um, the scales of justice, I guess, if you think about it that way. You know, if anything is off-centered or off-kilter, off you're not going to feel a sense of wealth or health or happiness. So health is wealth to me just means the integral integration of all of those areas of your life, balanced and flowing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is my show and you said it better than I have. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, hey. You invited me for a reason. <laughs> that 
That was so good. Oh, man. All right, listeners. She's dropping gems. I'm going to have to step now, up my I've game. I've learned this. I've learned this, Robert. I mean, I just, <laughs> it took a long time sure. <laughs> to learn this stuff. Oh, well, hey, 14 years at a time, right? Yeah, there you go. It's still learning. Still learning. Yeah. Still growing. <laughs> but I like your definition. And um, I like it for two big reasons. Number one, uh, fundamentally, I agree with every assertion you made. But number two, because you referenced that, like, that harmonious blend of all the different facets of, of health. Right, and then that's when you have the what'd you say the the uh, inheritance of wealth. Yeah. That's a sermon it's, right it, there. It's, yeah, it's integrated. You know, it's all uh-huh. integrated into your being, yeah. and your whole your whole person. You know, when you can integrate it that way. Wow, I might have started shouting if you did one of those like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> wow, yeah, that that was good. Okay, man. Okay, don't get too excited, Robert. Maintain yeah. composure. Maintain composure. Yeah. Uh, Pretend to be not as inspired by that. No, but in all honesty, (laughs) I I ask that to almost every guest on the show. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my listeners know it it varies. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. it's purely financial, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's purely physical. But Mm -hmm. I appreciate the way you've explained it. And what I want to do, I want to lean in a little bit, though. So um, what would you say is your, like, one of the most important parts to you? Hmm. One of the most important parts of health is wealth. Yeah. I think um, probably the spirit, spiritual aspect of it. I um, I know a lot of wealthy people, um, financially wealthy people. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've met them through my work. Like they are top donors. You know, I know a lot of financially wealthy folks. Um, I know... A lot of people who have physical health, like they they just look like they stepped out of a GQ magazine and they got muscles and they're just, you know, <laughs> running every marathon, <laughs> you know, they're out there. Um, I know a lot of people at the top of their game with their careers, you know, they're just, they're driving, they're drivers, they're trying to, you know, make that million before they turn 30 or whatever. Um, and I know in every category, a lot of unhappy people. In, in those spaces. And to me, I think it's because they don't live their life from a sense of spirit and they don't live their life with a sense of purpose. Mm. Um, they have a goal, which is not the same as purpose. You mm. have a goal. You know, your goal could be, like you said, I'm gonna, I'm going to make this million dollars before I turn 30. Or I'm going to become, you know, I'm going to have my own company by the time I'm 40. Th- those are goals, certainly. Or I'm going to get married before I turn this age, you know. So you can have these goals all over the place. But if you don't live it from this sense of, of purpose and spirit, it, you never quite get that sense of why, the bigger why. Why am I doing this? Okay, yeah, I'm doing this for financial security. But why? Mm-hmm. Like, so is that financial security just for you? Or is it to help the world become better? Uh, and that's that's where spirit and purpose align for me. I know for myself, you know, when I when I when I was offered the role of CEO, I said no. I said no for almost a year before I said yes to it. And I couldn't see myself becoming a CEO. I couldn't see myself there because it didn't align with my purpose at the time and, and what I thought that I was put on this earth to do, which was to be a principal, a school principal. 
Um, and it took someone to help me, a coach to help me realize that I was, I was being led and driven by fear of the unknown because I could still serve and serve in a broader way for, and help these, the children I'm trying to help, um, if I were at the top. And so I had to realign and do a lot of, a lot of prayer and meditation to get that sense of calm about saying yes to CEO. And that's where I think for me, the health is wealth is, is the top of that game is spirit and purpose and being filled with a sense of, I am doing what my creator wants me to do. And why am I doing it? To better the world, to better myself and to better the children that I serve. That's good. There's a lot to unpack there too. Um, mm-hmm. To my way of thinking, you're, you're, you're kind of referencing hedonism, right? That, that mm. pleasure focus and that being mm-hmm. the, the right. main impetus Whereas your outlook is, how can I make the world a little bit better than the way I found it? Right. That's, see, that's why we're friends, right? Outside of this call, <laughs> outside of this, that's why we're friends. Because um, like you, a lot of people in my circle are very ambitious, very driven, very smart and gifted, talented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they don't care about anybody else right, right. but themselves. themselves right. Yeah, and I'd like to and, share it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you get in the pool. I, I was I was going to say, you know, what What a lonely way to live. Like, it, it, it is not, uh, I, I can't remember the guy. I think, I know his last name is uh, Don. He said, no, you know, no man is an island. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is so true. But I think a lot of people in the pandemic has shown us this, the loneliness of that mm-hmm. existence as an island. Um, the loneliness of, of being only for yourself, for example. And, um, and, and now in a situation like this pandemic where you, a lot, you know, all of us were forced to shelter in place for so long, there are many people who um, have not thrived mentally mm. um, from this. You know, as a matter of fact, it's really done a lot of mental damage uh, to some people because they've realized the loneliness of their one. Mm-hmm. And and that they didn't have another person to reach out to, other than like career level or you know kind of surface level, but they didn't have deep meaningful relationships to reach out to, and that is not health or wealth. You know when you're stuck in a place where you've been so driven by your career or by your goals that were self-centered goals or focused on on your pleasure and your getting ahead that you really haven't created a community to lean on. Mm. That's good. That's so good. Wow. Listeners, please tune in. Pick up that notebook and that pencil that hasn't been used in 13 days. Right? <laughs> wow. That's. I mean, I would be taking notes, but I have the privilege of hearing the recording probably 16 times before <laughs> everyone. Um, so that's, that's good. I like that, Cheryl. I want to tell a story to the listeners just to exercise some transparency. So you guys all know, I know Cheryl, we, you know, we're we're friends outside of this, her husband, myself, we even share the same chiropractor. Like that's how integrated our lives are. (laughs) But, um, there, we discovered uh, by accident, by the way, we did. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I was a little puzzled, but, um, yeah, I, I used to do this, this, um, this group called a state club. I'd invite, you know, eight to 12 of my uh, peers 
in my network. And, and for like, I think seven weeks, we were like meeting once a month, diving into our businesses. We all owned a business or some type of, um, type of movement, right? And, and we get together and we kind of strategize, throw out ideas, you know, just round table style over some nice steak and lobster bisque and macaroni. It was great. <laughs> and I conjured up the idea because I saw it in some publication. And I'm like, I should do that. And it was great until someone, great. until someone told me, and you'll like this plug here. Someone said, you look very like elitist. Like, <laughs> like you're just, having your own little party and it's just y'all and i'm like no we're like bettering ourselves iron sharpens iron what are you talking about and they're like but all of y'all are the same like how are you mm -hmm. making the world better and i just went oh it doesn't, doesn't feel right the optics are off and then i, I kind of pivoted right and i started inviting different um nonprofit organizations into you know into the fold and they would kind of share what they're working on and I'd parlay that with the insight from my business owners and hopefully some synergy would happen. Maybe some introductions yeah. uh, at the very least. So I did. like what, I like what you it said. Did, actually. Yeah. Cause that makes, yeah, I like that. From that steak dinner, I ended up having um, three of your, the people at that table come to my school. Nice. I don't know if you, you knew that, you know, and uh, one has become a mentor um one actually did a career day uh with me recently uh like you did robert and uh another one of the guests did a uh well two of them actually did a lunch with the local all three all three did lunch with the locals as you did where we bring wow. you this was pre-pandemic of course we bring you into the school and you actually have lunch with a group of about 20 of our young people at our school and they get to fire questions at you <laughs> for an hour and it was so much fun to have your friends, your guests that you introduced me to in, in our space. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, I'm happy for the three, but being the type of person I am, I'm like, why didn't all seven show up? <laughs> <laughs> so after this, I'm probably going to find out who the four know. were and get them over there. Too. <laughs> all right. All right. Very cool. So Cheryl, um, I would consider you very successful in your domain. And what I'd like you. For, to ask you is, you know, what are some of the unique skills that you possess that you think, you know, kind of um, created that success or that you can attribute that success to is probably a better way to say it. Yeah, no, that's a hard question. I, I, um, cause I don't think I'm unique. I, I don't think uh, my skills are any different than a lot of people. Um, I, I think, you know, if I had to say what's contributed to my success, I would, I would say optimism. I'm really an optimist. I believe and expect the best uh, out of myself, out of others. I believe in people. Um, and I, I'm not skeptic. I'm not a skeptic. I'm, I'm a realistic optimist, certainly, but I'm, I'm certainly an optimist. I am. Um, I'm also a continuous learner. Like I, I never stop learning. I love learning. I love, so all these books are real. This is not a virtual back here. <laughs> like these, these are real books and I have yeah. books all over my house. And, and a lot of these books back here belong even to my, my children who are adults who won't let me throw their books away um, because <laughs> I, I raised that in them, you know, just continuously learning, growing, reading, um, study more, study more and study yourself as well mm. as a book. Like 
you are be a student of yourself. Uh, and I think that has led me to a level of success to like really looking at me and where are my strengths, but where am I not so strong? What's good about Cheryl? What's not so good about Cheryl? <laughs> uh, and not from a lens of shame, but from a lens of, okay, I see where I'm out in that area. I'm not so, I'm not the best listener sometimes. So I've got to work on that. Uh, yeah. And I see where maybe I'm not as flexible and I've got to be more flexible. And I, I see where I tend to just take the bull by the horn and run and I leave everybody behind me and I'm not, I gotta stop doing that. And it's like, come on, help me with this bull. You know? um, so, so it's important to study yourself. And I, and I think that's also one of the reasons that, that I'm, um, you know, succeeding. And it took me a long time to get there too, because truth be told for a long time, you know, I would, anybody who, you know, if they told, said something to me that I didn't like or I disagreed with, you know, they were pointing out a flaw or something I needed to work on. My response was, they're just hating. You know, they're just hating. <laughs> oh, but, and you know, but it really does take a lot of courage to look at yourself and say, yeah, but they were right. <laughs> they were right. And the last thing is humor. Gotta have humor. You gotta laugh at yourself, laugh at, you know, just sometimes stuff is funny, you know, and not take yourself overly serious. And, uh, and, uh, I think that's a part of my success too. Nice. That's so good. Um, it reminds me of a time in, in college when I, I, I guess our, our skills are like opposite ends of the spectrum, surprisingly. Uh -huh. I, I would have thought they'd yeah. be the same just cause you know, we click so well, but, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, optimism is not a strength of mine. I tend to err on the side of you know, conservation, like what is yeah. the worst possible thing that could happen? <laughs> uh, so if I fall in public, right, I make a fool of myself, I'm not going to embrace humor. I'm not going to go, ah, silly me. I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, oh, blame it on I the did carpet. That. I fell. <laughs> Nobody saw it, right? <laughs> no, but it, it, okay, going back to the first piece, though, optimism, that's a good one because I think. I think back to when I was in college, you know, one of the one of the first encounters I had in the dorm room was where another guy was walking by me and I thought he was being slick, but he's like, hey, nice haircut. And I'm like, oh, well, what you trying to say, man? Like, what's good? You know, hey, <laughs> what, 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 what you mean? Huh? You I'm like, look at your hair. Robert. Oh, my God. So aggressive. <laughs> yeah. To which he responded. I, I'm a barber. I thought your hair looked nice, but <laughs> never mind. And I just caught myself like. I thought he was dissing me, you know? Yeah, so you assumed, and you never assumed the worst. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's so um, funny. Yeah, now you, that's you good. You know, the, the optimist, the, um, so there's a book. Uh, I always, and, and, and now that you're a parent, I really think you should read this book. It's called How Children Succeed, and it's written by a man named Paul Tuff. And, um, you know, he studied successful adults and he did not define success with financial wealth. Mm. Um, his definition of success was the person was content with their life and mm. they had achieved some goals that they said to achieve and they had a level, a relatively high level of satisfaction in their contentment. Mm. Uh, and he, these were truck drivers, these were CEOs, these were garbage collectors, these were manicurists. Um, and one of the things he found, they had common traits. Optimism was a trait. Mm. <laughs> Grit was another trait. 
uh, resilience, you know, so the, just the different traits that they had, um, curiosity, you know, I won't spoil all of them because there's several, there's like seven or eight of them, but I really love the book. I had my teachers read the book uh, about four or five years ago, and we come back to it time and time again. It's got the work of um, Angela Duxworth, Duckworth, who does a lot of things on grit and mindset. Yeah. A lot of her work is in that book, too. So, Wow, that's a good one. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to have to yeah. pick that up. I haven't read it. Okay. Yeah. How Children Succeed, Easy Read, and very, very, um, it's been really beneficial for my staff to read that book. Wow. Very cool. I, I love I love book recommendations. Like you, I, I love reading, so I'll definitely pick that up. Um, that, that's that's a good intro, though. So let's let's talk about your staff, your school, your uh, institution. Would you mind maybe sharing a little bit about you know what y'all are sure. up to and and maybe a, yeah. a call to action, if you will? Absolutely. Um, so Holy Family Ministries um, is an organization focused on youth development through education. Um, we exist to serve the under-resourced neighborhoods of Chicago. And to that end, we are four programs, um, four programs operated by four outstanding managers, I should say. So my job is not to get in the weeds of these, these programs, but to work with side-by-side uh, -side with the managers. So we have Holy Family School, which is our largest program, K through 8th. Uh, faith-based Christian school. We have Little Learners Academy, which is our preschool program. Uh, Adventures in Learning, which is our out-of-school time, which represents after-school and summer camp program. And we have the Peace Exchange, which is our youth leadership development program. Um, all four programs are operated out of one center located on the west side of Chicago in the North Lawndale area. Uh, collectively, we serve anywhere from um, if you if you count all of the out of school programs and the athletics and the peace exchange and everything, uh, anywhere from about 400 to 500 kids, uh, depending on the course of the year and what's happening. That was pre-pandemic numbers, actually. Um, but post-pandemic, we're going to rise again. That's what I'm saying. So what are we up to now? Well, I'm excited to say we've been back in school since August uh, in person. Uh, we gave our parents the option of coming back to school for in-person learning or staying home and learning remotely. Uh, initially, when we did that, we had about 60% of our students back in the building. And as of next week, we'll have 100% of our students back in the building because we've been just basically every two months push the call to action. Please come back to school. Please come back to school. Um, we're excited because we were able to reopen uh, with the generosity of our donors who supplied us with plexiglass shields all over the place, uh, uh, money for funding for a school nurse, which we never had before. Uh, prior, when the pandemic first hit a year ago, uh, we had a donor who, who helped us to buy Chromebooks for our students. So we instantly went from a not a one-to-one -one school to a one-to-one -one school in about two weeks time which allowed, allowed us to be remotely teaching our students, um, which is for the birds, by the way. Uh, and uh, this is just not fun. Um, and I have to say many of our students, you know, they just dialed, they, they just dialed it in. I mean, they were not truly engaged. They weren't, they weren't there. They were physically in front of the camera, but not mentally there. Um, so our population that we serve, as I said, they're pretty much under-resourced families. We have 76% of our children who qualify for free or reduced meals. 
um, who come to us uh, to school for preschool through eighth grade. Um, our tuition cost per pupil actually is slightly above $10,000 per child per year. And the average family pays around $2,500 um, to go there each year. So you can see the need for fundraising is large uh, and great each and every year. And we've been successfully fundraising since 1985 when we opened our school doors. Um, I think that the, the biggest thing that I, I would say if I were to give a call to action is, you know, we, when we look at where we are in our country in the, in the way of race relations and we look at where we are in social justice issues as a nation, I mean, it's been a long fight for too many years, for centuries of fighting, you know, for equity, and we still don't have equity. And one of the reasons is inequitable education. You know, I have, I'm a product of Chicago Public Schools, so I can speak firsthand knowing what happens in Chicago Public Schools. I was fortunate enough to have a mother and a father uh, who, although my mom had a high school diploma and my dad had an eighth grade diploma, they were determined that my siblings and I were going to have a good education and college education too. Unfortunately now, there are many parents who live in these under-resourced neighborhoods. No, I'm even gonna say parents who live out in, in Barrington or Glenview. I mean, there are many parents who assume that their children are getting a good education. They just make that assumption no matter where their child goes to school. And they don't tune in to what's happening. And I know that is a fact for many of the, of the parents um, that we serve at Holy Family even. Like we do everything to engage them. When a parent doesn't tune in, here's what you end up with. You end up with a fourth grader who cannot read. We've seen many of those at Holy Family and our staff has to work hard with a fourth grader who cannot read or a fifth grader who doesn't know how to, what we used to call borrowing or regrouping. You know, you know, they don't know how to do it. They don't even know multiplication facts um, at the fifth grade level. Three-year-olds who come into the school and they don't know colors. They don't know letters or things that many three-year-olds now they should know these things. Um, and it's because the parents don't know. Why don't they know? They were in a system that undereducated them or poorly educated them. And, and why maybe doesn't the grandma know? They were in a system that poorly educated them or undereducated them. So the call to action would be invest in education. If you really want to see a change in, in our world, if you want to see equity happen, make sure that you're investing in education. Make sure you're asking tough questions if you are a parent, and I don't mean be a helicopter parent and be down the teacher's throat, but I do mean pay attention to what your child is learning or is not learning. Pay attention to what the under-resourced neighborhood students, how are their test scores looking? Um, because if we continue this cycle that's happening where kids year after year after year, their test scores are below where they should be in math and reading, we'll never get equity. And so whether you want to invest, and I hope you would love to invest in a holy family school um, or not, invest in education in whatever way you can. And that's going to create the system of justice and equity that we that we really do need in America to see a change in race relations. Wow. I like that. I really do. Wow. Thank you. 
Man, that's, that's a great place to stop there. Um, <laughs> if, if people want to get in contact with you, uh, where can they find you online? Well, let's see. You know, easily you can go to our website, uh, which is hfm.org. That's pretty simple. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Cheryl, Cheryl Collins, Holy Family Ministries has a LinkedIn page, but also I have one. Um, certainly our Facebook page is live and active for Holy Family Ministries as well. I think the website is probably the best place to, to start to get connected. Okay. Okay, cool. And I can attest, I, sometimes I tune in to their Facebook live just to catch a couple, a uh, couple oh, minutes of the cool. chapel. So you all do yourself a favor, go ahead and catch some of that, some of that drip, get some Wednesday. of the energy. Wednesday Sorry, afternoon, 12.15. Wednesday afternoon at 12.15. Uh, Facebook, we do chapel every Wednesday with our fabulous chaplain, Leslie Hunter. Our principal, Dr. Candace Smith, is there. And it's, and our children, of course, are, are rocking it with songs. But, uh, you know, Robert had the privilege of attending chapel pre-pandemic. Oh, and yeah. that was <laughs> in the space with, what, almost 300 kids yelling and uh -huh. praising was just amazing. Amazing. Those, Absolutely. We hope amazing. to get back to that. We hope to, we we look forward to the time where we can get back to that level of engagement and energy for chapel. Of course, of course. Oh my gosh, this is so good. And there we have it, y'all. Um, Cheryl, thank you so much for hopping on and, and chatting with us for a little bit. Uh, to my listeners, you've been through thank another you. episode. You're so welcome. Uh, we've been through another episode of the Health Is Wealth Show. And what I want to do is just remind you that it's not a trade-off. Right, Health and wealth are not just rhyming couplets, they're mutual ingredients in the body of purpose. So much like you heard Cheryl kind of explain to us, right? find your purpose, set some boundaries, leave the world a little bit better than the way you found it. And until next time, health is wealth. Peace. They say having money's not everything, not having it is. Love of money is evil, but who don't want to be rich? Wealth is fundamental for the life that you want to live. As you pursue that wish, don't sacrifice this list. Physical health, uh -huh. emotional health, yeah. social, spiritual health, of course. Financial health, health is wealth, health is wealth. Yeah. Tap in, let's go.